Grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the New Testament letter of 1 John. Find that towards the very back of your Bible if you're becoming familiar with Holy Scripture. Uh, you find it just after 2 Peter and just before Jude and Revelation, the very back. The letters of John uh, are really a blessing for us in this time as we are committed to preaching through them. In this first letter, letter we are uh, seeing some mega themes of truth and certainty and love which are all good and needed for us, many of which we'll see in today's passage as we look at chapter 3, verses 19 through 22, the focus of today's sermon that I've titled Confidence in God. John helps his readers, and us still today by God's providence, to be grounded in confidence, not in man, And not in our circumstances, but in God. Look with me at today's passage, 1 John chapter 3, 19 through 22. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Word of our Lord. Let's look to Him in prayer before we dive in. Father, we thank You for this time circumstantially, relationally, maybe financially, maybe physically. There are many reasons why we might be wavering in confidence. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do your mighty work and all who have gathered here today to reassure our hearts before you. Our hearts that in the flesh are guilty of bringing the very condemnation and doubt that we can so struggle with. Our hearts that are guilty in our sin of clinging to things to define us, to make us happy other than you. God, we're desperate for you. We're desperate for the Holy Spirit to work in us today and to firm up our foundation that we would be steadfast, that we would be confident in you, Lord. I thank you for the work you've done in me this week in my study and prayer. I pray, Lord, now that preparation and preaching is a blessing for all that you've ordained to be here. Do your mighty work, holy God. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1 John 3, 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. When John says, by this, we have to stop and remember what he just said. Because what he's about to say is now built on what he just said, by this. And so look back with me at just verse 18 to help us with this. A very important, short 
but needed statement, 1 John 3.18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So the fact that we walk in love and in truth, truth that is love, we have a marker by which we know that we are indeed of the truth. The evidence that God's truth is in us and is at work in us is seen in our walking in love and in truth. The fruit of the Spirit that bears itself in the redeemed's life. John says this to reassure the heart of his hearers and and by God's providence us today to reassure our heart before the Holy God. Church, if there is anyone you want to be assured of in your relationship or in your standing, it is before the living God far more than anyone else. John says we shall know This is another emphasis for certainty. John wants the beloved to have true confidence in God. And so I ask you, do you live in confidence? Not in yourself. Not in others around you. But in God. Oh, how I want you to know confidence the confidence we who belong to Christ should have in God the good news I want to help illuminate here in verse 19 is that it's not up to you to muster up this confidence or to find it it is God who ultimately gives it to you A Christian is a Christian and in good standing before the Holy God when and if the attributes of God are at work in us by the Holy Spirit. The two attributes highlighted here that help assure us that we do indeed belong to the truth, belong to God, and assure our hearts before Him are love and truth. We've spent much time looking at these already. We will spend more specific time looking at them moving forward. But let me remind us here. Love and truth are not out there. They're not something God created and then gave to us in this life to know or to steward Apart from Him, they are not something we find after searching the soul or investigating the depths of the world. God is love. God is truth. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. 
because God is love. The reality is truth is found only in God. Love is found only in God. Everything else is counterfeit. Why? Why is this the case? Because it's theocentric. It is who He is. And so it's absolute. There's no authority or perspective greater than His. God's truth is perfect because God is perfect. When Jesus says, I am the truth, in John 14, 6, this is meant to be revolutionary to our lives if we trust in and honor Him. Why? Because in Christ alone, we can finally know true north. We can finally know our way in Christ alone. And we who belong to Christ can finally live and speak truth and love. King David speaks to the reality that God's word is truth. In Psalm 119, a wonderful chapter. But I love his word specifically in verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. One of our elders, Steve Obert, said this well in a sermon he preached a couple years ago. It continues to resonate with me well. He said, Unless you know everything exhaustively, including the past, present, and future, you cannot be certain that what you think you know is true. Unless we know all things exhaustively, we cannot be certain the things we think we know are true. Unless we have someone who does know all things exhaustively, reveals that truth to us. Since man is incapable of exhaustive knowledge, we must see that we are dependent upon God, who does have this perfect knowledge in order for us to have certainty of truth let me read that last part again we must see that we are dependent upon God who does have this perfect knowledge in order for us to have certainty of truth our confidence in God is because of who God is and how he is at work in us There is no real confidence in man or in ourselves. Why? Because we are flawed. Because we are fallible. No no wonder confidence is so fleeting. No wonder it's so arrogant when someone claims to grab onto it without a real foundation underneath their confidence. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Man is created. Man is fallible. But God is not. He is holy. He is eternal. He is immutable. And He is truth. He cannot lie. He has no falsehood. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth. The Holy Scriptures are the truth. For they are God's Word. All of it represents the God of truth. And we 
who are the church, who are the redeemed ones, who belong to Christ, are to live in and speak God's truth and love in all we do and say. Rather than acting like children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, we who belong to Christ speak and live truth and love. And so Christian, are you about the truth? The truth that is Christ, the truth that is God's word, the truth that combats the lies and the feelings and the man-made self-serving idol-worshiping priorities of the flesh. You can't know or live in true love or actual truth without the God of truth and the God of love at work in you. If God's love is at work and through you, if God's truth is at work and through you, then you can be assured in your heart that you belong to Him. Hear these verses together again. Little children, 1 John 3, 18 and 19. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this, by the fruit of that activity, God's work in and through us, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. Beloved, we have a great confidence that we are of the truth and are reassured in our heart before His holy presence and power because God's love is in us. And it's actively, faithfully at work in our lives. And because God's truth is in us and is actively and faithfully at work in our lives. So do you know God's love and therefore you are loving others in the selfless love of God? Your spouse? Your children? Your blood-bought brother and sister in Christ? We don't love because of how well they're doing at loving us. We love because of His love for us. Do you know God's truth and therefore you are loving others in truth? You're not giving in to the fear of man or what people want to hear to keep the relationship happy. Are you doing this with your spouse, your children, your blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ. If so, be assured, beloved, that you belong to God. This is God's work in you. Are you doing that perfectly? No. If so, come to the stage. Right? Well, we'd love to hear from you. No, none of us are. None of us. So, so don't, don't get sidetracked with that. You are in need of ongoing sanctification, just as I am and each one of us are. This confidence is grounded in God Himself. I want you to see that. It's His attributes at work in the redeemed. 
that bear the evidence of belonging to him and fuel the confidence we have. This is good news because it doesn't mean you've got to go find it or perform it just right on your own. It's, it's still very dependent on him. Look with me at verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. The enemy of confidence in God is the flesh. When John says, whenever our heart condemns us, we are reminded that we are not yet glorified, still being sanctified. Meaning we're still at war with the flesh and our sin. Yes, Jesus has claimed victory over us, by his atonement in our place on the cross, paying the penalty of our sin, in saving us, he therefore has unshackled us from our enslaved will to only sin, so that now we can grow in our living for the will of God, for the righteousness and glory of God. But in all that, we are still not yet done in our fight against the flesh. Our hearts and minds therefore will still find times and moments to try to condemn us. For the flesh still has a seat in the vehicle of this frail life and body. The good news is that we don't fight the flesh alone. We have God the Holy Spirit who dwells within every true believer in Christ, to motivate us, to empower us to honor God. Listen to how Paul speaks of this reality in Galatians 5, 16-17. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not ratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul's clarity here highlights the reality of our internal struggle. The battle that rages within every believer. The desires and beliefs of the flesh in this corner, and the desires and the beliefs of the Spirit in the other. Never forget that a Christian is not a person who is perfect and has no fleshly desires. A Christian is at war with those desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. Never forget that war within you is a good thing. Conflict in your soul is not all bad. I've said it before, but if it's new or you need to hear it in a fresh way, lean in and don't miss this. If you have no war within you, it's because the flesh controls the entire dominion of your soul. Praise God, therefore, for the war within. Amen? Amen. Serenity in sin is death. I praise God that you're here today because some of you are likely coming out of a season whereby you have been all too comfortable with your sin against God. 
you have become really good at making excuses. At setting it aside, at staying busy. You've given yourself completely over to the desires of the flesh. To the man-made remedies of of the sinful engagement of sex or drugs or money or to think that these things will satisfy you. But they don't. The greatest thing that can happen to you today by God's grace is to wake you up from your serenity to sin. Because undealt with it leads to death. Eternal death. If you are not a believer, if you only know religion, if you only have tried to add Jesus to your life and are not belonging to Him, then repent of your sin before the Holy God. And believe in Jesus alone for salvation. And receive the power to fight that sin ongoingly as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. Now those of you who have true conviction of your sin and true repentance and fight, I say praise God for the war within. If you trust in Jesus with your life, then the Holy Spirit has landed to do battle with the flesh within you. So I say take heart if your soul feels like a battlefield at times. You might say, Pastor, but I'm really struggling. And I would say back to you, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because dead men don't struggle. It's good news that you are struggling because it means you are at war internally. And there's a power at work inside you that is purging the work of the flesh out of your life. Listen to what James says. James 4.1 What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Understand where the drama and the heartache in your life is coming from. It's not enough to just try to change some habits or make some external modifications like the world does. That, that's throwing a blanket over it and pretending it's not there. Plugging your nose to try to cover up the stench of it. Not that changes in habits or in routines are not a good thing to pursue. But it must be more than that or you're doomed. You're deceived. He's saying, understand your passion's at war within you. It's an internal transformation that's got to happen. It's a spiritual matter. A battle that is happening internally must be had so the Spirit of God can make war with the flesh and bring about true repentance, which is a real turning of it. Not just confessing the sin and then running back to it and holding it close, but turning from it. Getting on a new path. Putting that old thing away. Under sanctification, under really growing in holiness, real maturity and faith in life with God. This is the hope you have for the quarrels and fights with others. The, the, the works on the, on the outside is the evidence of what has happened on the inside. 
The point John is majoring on here in verse 20 is not the struggle itself, though, but acknowledging that our struggle is real after he acknowledges that when our heart tries to condemn us, and it will, we are assured that God is greater than our struggle within. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Think about that, Christian. Praise God that God is greater than your heart. He's greater than your feelings. Praise God that our flesh and our fleshly desires don't rule us anymore when we belong to Christ. Why? Because Christ now rules us. Now while the flesh is still at work and will try to lie and trip us up and condemn us, God's word is clear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 Church, the truth of God's word must always be louder and truer in you than the passions of your flesh, the wisdom of your mind, than the feelings of your heart. How arrogant is it when you say, in light of the truth of God's word, oh no, but these feelings I have are really true. They're not truer than the truth of God's word, Christian. Stop it. That's a lie. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is truly good news. It is truth that we must constantly put to work in our hearts and minds when we are tempted to be downtrodden, to feel defeated, to speak to ourselves in ways that are so condemning. And let me say, this struggle for many of you, I understand, is very real. You really love Jesus and you are full of faith in Him. But you are guilty of giving the microphone to your fleshly thinking, your resounding feelings instead of giving it to the truth of the Lord, your Maker and your Master. Stop passing the mic to your flesh, Christian. And listen to the truth of God. And let it reorient you and correct you and send you on a path of righteousness. We need to focus on on the truth-telling that David practices in Psalm 139. Let me show you how this is practiced. We give the mic to the truth of God. Really listen how he preaches these truths to himself and declares them to the Lord in prayer and in praise. Ready? Psalm 139, 1 through 18. O Lord, 
You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are all acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell with the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, and the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonder are your works, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, which as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, They are more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. Brother, sister in Christ, see yourself the way God sees you in Christ. In His sovereign decree to make you, to purpose you for these days that you live. He's not wasting any of it. Do you know that? Even when it's really hard. I watched my mom in the latter years of her Alzheimer's in her late 50s before she died at 60. That disease is miserable. It tore her body apart. You couldn't even hardly recognize who she was. She walked the hallways and mumbled. She didn't know who we were to any degree that we really had confidence that she did. Maybe she did. 
And yet God's word informs us that he's not wasting one of those days of her life. Our flesh can say, what's the purpose of this? Eight and a half years of suffering. Such a long and ugly demise. So much pain, so much. I I couldn't even fathom what she was going through inside. And I just hold her close and whisper in her, hold fast to Christ. He loves you. God is at work in all of this. Trust in him. And we had to do that too. We had to combat the ways our flesh wanted to instruct our thinking and our feelings through all of that. With faith. With the truth of God's word to overcome the noise of our heart and our minds. I want that for each of us. You have the same truth and the same assurance that David does. Christian, you just need to exercise it. Some of you really need to hear this today because you are guilty of clinging to such defeating and destructive thoughts about yourself lately. Realize when you do this, it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts everyone around you. To turn to the self-destructive, self-defeating feelings and thoughts of your flesh is to have the answer before you, but you intentionally set it aside. Beloved, don't do this to yourself. Don't do it to your testimony of Christ. Cling to His truth. And let it reorient your mind and your feelings. The truth belongs to God. And thankfully, as John says here, God is greater than our heart. Let's meditate on that point more. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. God is greater than our heart. Praise God for that truth. Church, we are not dependent on ourselves, but on God who is greater, not only than our heart, but greater than all things. Let me ask you, does the truth of God's all-surpassing greatness move you, settle you, help you, ground you, and give you confidence? It should. Because it is who He is. And therefore, it is what it means to our lives, which is why John is loving the saints to remind them of this important truth. Psalm 145.3 Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. How great is God? It's unsearchable to define it. That's how great he is. Psalm 95 3 For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Paul would often speak this way to the New Testament saints, as well as, as well. And one of my favorite Assurances he gives them is found in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able 
to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. I mean, just pause there with me and consider the weight and the beauty and the good news that those first three words are. God is able. It's a reference to His power, to His limitless reach and influence. God is all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Omni meaning all, potent meaning strength and power. God is able to do all His holy will. He is all-powerful. Now when I say limitless, there is one important caveat or clarity that Scripture makes clear to us. God cannot or will not do anything that goes against His nature or that is inconsistent with His perfections. Thus, God is able to do all His holy will. He cannot do anything, He can do anything, but He cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. That's James 1.13. He can do anything, but it is impossible for God to lie. That's Hebrews 6.18. He can do anything, but God cannot deny Himself. That's 2 Timothy 2.13. So this is why we see so much emphasis in the New Testament Scriptures about praying for the will of God. Because God is able, but God is not going to ever stop being holy or perfect or just and is laser-focused on accomplishing His holy will. God is greater God is able. Church, do you know this? I mean, really know it. Know it with all your being, with all faith. We need to know this. We need to trust in it so that when we run to Him, so that we will run to Him and trust in Him in all things. Is there things happening in your life where you are undone you're sidelined you're flipping flopping like a fish out of water christian put your faith to work don't put your faith on this on the shelf it's in those moments more than any moments you trust in god you walk by faith and not by sight god is able god is at work these things don't change in those situations When you have a problem in life, do you call the person that you know can't help you? No, that'd be silly, to use a kind word. (laughs) Or do you call the person who you know can help you? Right? This is why it is essential that we know and trust that God is greater than whatever is coming against you, even when that thing is your very own heart or mind. 
John is specific to say God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. When he says, he, he says this when our heart wants to speak condemnation against us who belong to him. And he says here that he knows everything. When John says he knows everything, he's emphasizing his omniscience. Omniscience is, is the fact that God has perfect, complete knowledge. He never learns, nor does he forget. He knows all things that exist and all things that could have existed. God cannot grow in knowledge, understanding, or wisdom. Psalm 147.5 Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond all measure. Nothing matches the knowledge of God. He, he truly does know everything. So I'll say it again. Truth is found only in God. It's theocentric and therefore it's absolute. Because there is no authority or perspective greater than His. God's truth is perfect because God is perfect. Our heart is fleshly and so it's prone to lie to us. But God is truth and knows everything. Here is the big point and why we need this every day. God is greater than our heart and so we can have confidence in Him alone when our heart is trying to lie to us. It's why you are desperate for His Holy Word in your life every day and throughout the day. You've got to combat the lying voice of your fleshly heart with His truths. Christian, we are at war with our flesh. We must abide in God and in His truth to reorient our thinking and our feelings when they try to condemn us. Remember Paul's words in Ephesians 4, 17-20, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. Other scriptures would emphasize the enslavement of their minds, their hearts in sin. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have, been, have given themselves up to sensuality and, and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And then he says in verse 20, that is not the way you learned Christ. There is a daily reorientation, and many days it's a moment-by-moment -moment reorientation that we rely on the truths of God to inform our hearts, correct our hearts and minds of what is actually true. Instead of letting our flesh speak mistruths and try to condemn us. A daily renewal, a daily sanctification of our minds, our feelings, our priorities must happen, Christian. 
In this, God is working out our salvation according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the work, and it's directed by the truths of the Holy Word. When we trust in God and conform to God and honor God through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will bear new fruit in proper God-honoring lifestyles that truly affect society and testify the gospel. And this is a lost world, only hope. And so what is that fruit that comes forth? John speaks of it in verse 21 and 22. The fruit of confidence in God is obedience and worship. Look with me. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Church, when we are rightly confident in God, and resting on the sufficient and completed work of Christ and the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit within us, we will have confidence before God. John says, when we are living here, God will give us what we ask for. It's back to what I just read by Paul in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. James Montgomery Boyce spoke to this. He says, number one, if we are praying with a clear conscience, that is, if we are being honest and open before God. Number two, if we are doing what God in His Word has commanded us to do. Number three, if we are seeking to please God in every possible way, then we can know that what we ask of God we will receive. We can know, to use Paul's words, that God is able to and will do what we ask. In case you're still tempted to think that there's a way to figure out that formula so you can ask for a Ferrari, (laughs) the point is you're asking for His holy will. And he will give you the yes response to the doing of his holy will every time. What we don't do in these verses or in the work of our flesh is say, cool, I've got a rad genie in a bottle now. Let's go to work. Now, what we have is so much better than that. It's so much better than what we have in God. Praise God that we can come to Him anytime and with anything in prayer. Praise God He hears us and He answers our prayers in His perfect wisdom and timing. Hebrews 4.16 4, Let us come with confidence, draw near, to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, pray often. Come to Him with confidence as you do. 
For He is able to do all that we ask that is in line with His holy will and word. I'm really excited about Wednesday, this Wednesday, and the following Wednesday, as I am privileged to be our next speaker at midweek, um, as I take on the spiritual discipline of prayer. We'll spend two weeks on this discipline. It's a big one. And the truth is, and I know this, we all want to grow in our prayer life. So you have no reason to not come and be with us. I hope you'll make it a priority to join us this week and next. That we would grow in this discipline. What a sweet gift it is. Look with me at the last part of verse 22 and the important emphasis it is for us. It also sets up well our, our sermon next week in verse 23 and 24. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. The fruit or the evidence of one who is confident in God is one who keeps His commandments and one who does what pleases God. There's your evidence. There's the fruit. It's the person who obeys God and does what he does for the glory of God. Let's consider both of these, but only briefly, because I don't want to take too much from next week's emphasis, which includes these. First, obeying God's commandments. Keeping God's commandments is obeying Him in all things. 1 Peter 1.14 As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Holy living is obedience, but it's more than just rule keeping. John 14, 15 says, if you, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there is the simplicity of obeying him, of doing what he tells us to do or not doing what he tells us not to do. But it's more. See, the Pharisees were really good at keeping rules religiously, but they missed the sanctified holiness and redeemed life in in Christ that results in God refining our hearts. So we don't just do external modifications unto really good rule-keeping. No, we're changed at our core. And holiness then comes forth in a transformed life, in a holistic way, I've said it before, I continue to be really blessed by it. Kevin DeYoung wrote a great book, if you're looking for a great read, The Hole in in Our Holiness. In it, he uses this metaphor. He says, you can think of holiness, to employ a metaphor, as the sanctification of your body. The mind is filled with the knowledge of God and fixed on what is good. The eyes turn away from sensuality and shudder at the sight of evil. The mouth tells the truth and refuses to gossip, slander, or speak what is coarse or obscene. The spirit is earnest and steadfast and gentle. The heart is full of joy instead of hopelessness, patience instead of irritability, kindness instead of anger, humility instead of pride, thankfulness instead of envy, The sexual organs are pure, being reserved for the privacy of marriage between one man and one woman. The feet move toward the lowly and away from senseless conflict, divisions, and wild parties. 
The hands are quick to help those in need and ready to fold in prayer. This is the anatomy of holiness. And so are you obedient? Do you conform your life to God and His holiness? Or too often to the world and the passions of the flesh? This is not something you can sit here today and just be dismissive about. We must be men and women who conform our lives to the holiness of God and not the passions of the flesh. And so I ask again, brother, sister, are you this person? Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and we do what pleases Him. Doing what pleases God is living not for the self, but for God's glory. Do you remember what the angels sang about the night of Christ's birth before the shepherds? Luke 2.14 Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. With whom is God pleased? Who is doing what pleases Him? The answer is those whom He has chosen, who He has redeemed and transformed, and who now live for His glory and no longer their own. The problem is when we walk in our sin, we are glory thieves. Sin at its very core is idolatry, it's self-salvation, it's self-creation and glorification. It wants to do what pleases us instead of do what pleases God. Mankind has always overgripped the belief that the world revolves around us. The problem is with this line of thinking is it places us on the throne. We think my life, my time, my money, my thoughts. The great king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, defined a secular, me-centered worldview well when he quoted one day, standing above his kingdom, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And maybe you don't have a big robe or a crown on your head as you walk through life and proclaim the different things that are are for you and by you. But just see the failed arrogance of that. In total contrast, the Bible teaches that everything that you and I have, everything, your body, your kids, your marriage, your job, your stuff, your days, everything is from the hand of God and is to be used not for your glory, but for His glory. 
That's the reason why he gave it to you. This is the Christian worldview of Soli Deo Gloria. It means to God alone be the glory. Soli Deo Gloria emphasizes that all things were created, live, move, and have their being to glorify God. He will be glorified in all creation. All that is done will ultimately be for God's glory to the exclusion of man's self-glorification and pride. Listen to Romans eleven thirty-three through 36 Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen? Oh, how filled we are when we make our lives about us. Brother, sister, we need to be confident in God. For God is greater and worthy to be trusted and glorified. May it be so. By his grace and for his glory. Pray with me. Lord, you are good. You are love. You are truth. You are at work. You are present. Do your work, Lord, in us. Don't leave us where we are. Don't leave us where we entered this room. Convict us. Motivate us. Move us forward unto what glorifies you. Help us to know your attributes and therefore walk in confidence in you. You are greater than the the work of our heart and our mind to try to Condemn us and deceive us. Knock us down. Lord, let us stand in your truths. Let us bathe in your love. That we're moved, motivated to obey you, to glorify you. Use us, Lord, for your purposes. For there is no sweeter thing, no greater thing in all of life and to be used by you, the holy God, for your holy fame and glory. Hear us as we worship you in song and with our lives as we move from this place. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.